Well, today the scripture lesson is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, and I titled the sermon, If You're Angry and You Know It. Y'all remember a few months ago when Jim Clardy led the children's sermon, and he came up with this guitar, and he sang that song, If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands. If you're happy and you know it. Well, I didn't want him to, Sherwood's finest to upstage me today during my sermon, so I, I didn't ask him to do it again. But I was thinking about that song, Jim, you know. Uh, that song, the basic premise of the song is that giving you an appropriate way to express your happiness. If you're happy, then you need to be able to express your happiness to others. And that got me to thinking, is there a song out there that helps us to know the appropriate way to express our anger? Is there some old camp song that y'all used to sing in Sherwood that, that would give you that? I, I don't know that. So I, I just started looking on the internet and I found one from a great theologian. If y'all could play that for me, I think we've got it. You know it, do all three. I'm mad if you're angry and you know it, do all three. I'm mad if you're angry and you know it, and your face will surely show it. If you're angry and you know it, do all three. I'm mad. So, um,. I shared that song with you this morning because I love you, (laughs) you love me. Yeah, no, I don't know how helpful that is actually uh, about expressing anger, you know. I I think there are probably more appropriate ways that we could deal with our anger than pounding clay and crossing our arms and shouting out I'm mad, but if that works for you, then, you know, go with it. But I've always heard that it's better probably to just pause and count to 10, or for some of you, count to 20 or 30 or 40. Uh, Perhaps it's a good idea just to walk out of the room before we say something that we don't want to say, something that we might regret later. Sometimes a, a change of scenery is a good idea. Sometimes it's helpful to go and talk with somebody else to find Uh, to hear some other perspectives on things before we react in anger. And and so I think that there probably are some better ways than what uh, St. Barney shared with us just a few minutes ago. But in today's text, what we have is that, and in fact, in all of chapter 5, Jesus has been offering these well-known sayings. He's like, you have heard it said, and then he would share these things, but then he would turn right around after sharing those things, and he would add a different perspective to it, something, a, a, a subtle change at times, but something, a very pronounced change at times, and, and so that's happening all throughout the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. But in particular attention in our passage today, Jesus has just stated a well-known prohibition against murder. But then Jesus turns right around after saying that you have heard it said that you should not murder. And he says that if you are angry, you will be in judgment. 
So what in the world is Jesus saying with that added little thing on the end of it? Well, one of the things I don't think Jesus is saying is that anger in and of itself is wrong. And the reason why I've arrived at that conclusion is because of some of the other stories that are included in the Bible. You might remember that there's one story in particular where Jesus got angry. Jesus has just had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. People are so excited to see Jesus that they've lined the the sides of the road. Some of them are waving palm branches. Others have taken palm branches and placed them on the ground uh, in front of where Jesus will ride by. Some have taken off their cloaks and they placed them on the animal that Jesus is riding on as he comes into Jerusalem, while others are waving their cloaks just like they were waving their palm branches. They are truly in a spirit and an attitude of worship and praise of Jesus. They're saying things like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's this sense, if you don't know what happens next, that finally, these people understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do and they are willing to pledge their hearts and their lives in every way to Jesus, the Son of the living God. And yet, in just a few short days, Jesus makes his way to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he finds the people not singing praises, but selling stuff. I mean, they are, uh, it's like the Nashville flea market decided to show up here on Sunday morning. And we walked in for worship and all we see are a bunch of tube socks and birdhouses for sale. And it's because they got kicked off the fairgrounds because now we're going to have a soccer team and a NASCAR race. And, but the problem wasn't just that they were selling stuff. The problem is, is that what they were doing was unnecessary and it was unethical. See, people coming to Jerusalem for Passover wanted to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins. Some of them were unable because of the long distance that they traveled to bring an animal with them for the sacrifice. And so they planned to buy one once they got to Jerusalem, once they got to the temple. And so when they get to the temple, these animals are available for purchase, but the people who are selling them are marked the price up. They're they're gouging these people. These people who many were so poor that they could hardly even make the trip and make a sacrifice at all. And then these people were trying to overcharge them for the animals that they would use for a sacrifice. And so when Jesus sees what is happening, Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets so angry that we're told that he goes over to the money changers and he just overturns all of the tables. And you can imagine how angry that that Jesus was to do that. And you can imagine the response if if, um, the people that were there had seen it. I mean, what if I just decided that I was going to walk around behind this altar and just push over the table? How, How... Um, I'd be moving next June, but you understand uh, how how you would feel if I did that in the house of the Lord. And, and so here's Jesus coming in and essentially doing the same exact thing. And it's because Jesus was mad. Jesus was angry. 
And so if Jesus was angry, and if, and if Jesus was without sin, then anger in and of itself can't be sinful, right? It, it just can't be wrong. In fact, Jesus uses his anger in that particular story in, because it was justified. There was an injustice going on, and it was Jesus' anger that helped make things right. And so it wasn't that anger in and of itself was a bad thing. It was justified in this moment. Well, you might remember another story that also involves Jesus. It's right after Jesus had had the last supper with his disciples. He took his closest 12, uh, 11 disciples, the apostles, and he goes out on the Jerusalem hillside. He finds a garden, and there they are praying and, and awaiting what must come to pass. And while they're in that garden, all of a sudden, these soldiers show up to seize Jesus. They are going to take Jesus first to the high priest, and then to Pilate, and then to Herod. And Jesus will eventually be sentenced to death on the cross, and he will be crucified. And when those soldiers show up in that garden, Peter gets angry. Peter gets upset. And according to John's gospel, Peter whips out a sword and he strikes the ear of a slave of the high priest and, that, and, and takes the man's ear off. He's just maybe justified in his anger, right? Like Jesus was. I mean, he's trying to protect the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Surely that's justifiable anger, right? Except that Jesus doesn't appreciate it. Jesus said, no more of this. And then Jesus, we're told, touches the slave's ear and the ear is restored. So those are three stories about anger in the scripture. The first one where Jesus says, you've heard it said not to murder, but I say don't uh, act out in your anger or you will be judged. That, that there is a sense in which all of our anger will, will be judged as to how appropriate it is. And then you have this instance where Jesus is justified in his anger because he sees something unjust occurring and he attempts to make it right. And then you see an evidence where one of his disciples is angry and Jesus doesn't like the way that Peter responds in his anger and he instead uses that inappropriate response as a witness to Jesus' compassion and his healing. So I think the point of all of this is that it's how we respond to anger is what Jesus is getting. I mean, all of us get angry, right? I mean, some of you were angry this morning because your significant other wouldn't get their act in gear so that you could get to church on time. And you were mad about it. Some of you got angry because they didn't get their act together. You showed up and somebody else had already sitting in your pew and you got angry about it. Some of you were upset because your significant other thought that taking you to Waffle House on Valentine's Day was a great idea and you got angry about it. Some of you get angry because somebody pulled out in front of you in traffic or gave you the your number one finger as they passed by or any number of other things. But some of you are upset because you have been violated in awful and terrible and harmful ways. Some of you have been 
been hurt by people that you love the most. And the hurt was real. And the hurt was intentional. And the hurt lingers even to this day. All of us know what it's like to be angry. And so what might the words of Jesus have to say to us about anger. And about how we might respond uh, when we're angry in our scripture lesson this morning. The first thing that I notice about this particular text is that when Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, that Jesus uses the word murder instead of the word kill. You ever thought about that? I mean, the Ten Commandments, the big, the God's top ten list way before David Letterman, he said, thou shalt not kill. He didn't, it wasn't translated, thou shalt not murder. But after that commandment came out, thou shalt not kill, then people began to wonder, well, does, does, what does that really mean? I mean, does that mean we can't kill anything? Or is it just we can't kill humans? Because in other places, God had decreed, and it's attributed to God, that God said it was appropriate to kill things. Like animals, for instance. When, when in Genesis chapter 9, God gives them the freedom to uh, kill animals and eat it which goes against the prohibition to kill. And, and then there are other places in Scripture where, Jesus, where God says that it is appropriate if you're defending yourself and defending your home and defending your family. If someone comes into your home at night and you kill them in self-defense, that that's okay. And then there are other places in Scripture where God is attributed to saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so if somebody does something to you, you get to do it right back to them. And so there was this sense of what does it mean to, to kill? I mean, what can you kill and what you can you kill and what's appropriate and when is it not appropriate? And so Jesus chooses the word murder here. And murder kind of has a different connotation to it. Murder uh, suggests that it's premeditated. Murder suggests that it's more deliberate. It's not something spontaneous. It's something that you've been thinking about for a long, long time. That's the first thing that stands out to me here. Is that, and it may be the first clue here that Jesus says murder, which suggests premeditated, which suggests being deliberate. The second clue that I think is found in the text is this word anger. Did you know that there are two Greek words that are most often translated anger in the New Testament? One of those Greek words is, describes the kind of anger that just flames up really fast and then just as quickly dies down. And that is not the word that is used here in the Greek in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, in fact, Matthew is using a word that describes uh, more of a brooding anger. The word is orge, and orge means uh, 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 an anger that just exists beneath the surface, an anger that we continue to feed, an anger that we don't want to die, an anger that oftentimes leads us to want to seek revenge or to seek retaliation on that which has made us angry and that's the word that Jesus is using in our scripture lesson this morning 
Because when we let that kind of brooding anger fester, when we continue to feed it, when we don't try to kill it, it can lead us to do very deliberately and premeditated harmful things like murder. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I've been that mad. I've had that kind of anger. I've had that kind of anger in my life that I just keep feeding, that I can't let go of, that I don't want to let go of. But I would never, ever murder somebody, even though I have that kind of anger. And what I would just point out to you, that there are lots of other kinds of ways to murder somebody than to actually take their life. We've all known people, and perhaps we've even had it done to us, that have assassinated someone's reputation. Or their integrity. Or their character. They say things that are so deliberately harmful. That it takes away people's identity. It, it takes away their, their, uh, their placehood as a person created in the beautiful and wonderful image of God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are destroying that image when we speak uh, harmful hurtful words into them as an expression of our anger. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that we shouldn't say the word raka. Now, raka is one of those words that's not really easily translated in uh, Scripture. It, it, It has more to do with the tone of voice that's used when you say it than it does the actual word itself. But our best attempts to translate that word, raka, would be to say, you idiot, you uh, empty-brained, stupid, silly. And so Jesus is suggesting and saying that we should not ever say raka because then we will be held liable for that and we will have to be accountable to that. You see, those kind of names can be harmful to people's reputation and their identity and their character. And it can end up destroying someone's understanding of themselves and destroying their very lives. And then Jesus goes on to say a verse that still gives me shivers. Uh, You know, I was born and raised in a denomination not United Methodist. And my mother, the God-fearing woman that she is, taught us this verse early in life. And it was a literal version. If you call somebody a fool when you die, you will go straight to H-E double hockey sticks. You will not pass go. You will not collect $200. You will go straight to the fires of hell. And as a young child, the way I interpreted that scripture is, is okay, I can call you everything else, but not a fool. (laughs) That was not the right interpretation of the text. You know, nobody ever told me when I was a child that Jesus actually called people fools himself later in Matthew's gospel. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Jesus says, you bunch of blind fools. He said it, I didn't. Um, so if Jesus was saying it, it, are we supposed to be interpreted literally? Is it what goes for us? Does it apply to him? I, I don't know. Nobody else told me that when he actually talks about the fires of hell, that that phrase fires of hell is actually uh, referencing a, a real geographical location. 
that just outside of Jerusalem, there was this valley. And this valley, at one time, way back in Old Testament times, several kings of Judah had decided to sacrifice their own children in that valley. And that that was despicable to God, that anybody would do that. And so we're told that that valley became cursed. And because that valley became cursed, people began to throw whatever was useless, whatever was filthy, whatever was evil, whatever refuse was around them, they would throw it into that valley and they would burn it up. And so we're told, if you read through Jewish historians, that this valley was constantly smoldering with fire and with smoke because that's where you put anything that was filthy and evil and useless. And because it was cursed and because of what had happened there and because of all the junk that was there, people began to associate that valley as the gateway to all that was evil, the gateway to hell itself. And it became known as hell itself over time. And in fact, in Jesus' day, this place was the final, where the final punishment was believed to take place for people who were far from God. And so what Jesus seems to be saying here in light of that information is that murder is absolutely wrong. But so is using your anger in inappropriate ways that you defame someone else, that you're hurtful to them and harmful to them with your words and with your thoughts and with your deeds. And if you think you could be punished for murdering someone, then you need to know that there is also a form of punishment awaiting those of us who are so flippant with our words and our actions when we're angry. The thing that I love the most about this scripture for what it says to me and what I need to constantly hear is that God believes, Jesus believes that Reconciliation is more important than worship. For Jesus tells this story of when you are at the altar to worship your God. And you become aware that there is someone in your life that is angry at you. Jesus would rather you get up from worshiping God. And go and seek to make that right. Then Jesus would have you stay in worship. And then go do it. It's more important to reconcile. Than it is to worship. And the reason for that is. Is that you and I can't truly be in right relationship with God. If we're not first seeking to be in right relationship with the people around us and Jesus wants us to go and to seek to be reconciled and he says that if you're going to court try to settle out of court because once you get to court it gets uglier and it gets messier and it becomes much more difficult to reconcile and so that's a reference to do it quickly 
as soon as you can. The longer you wait, the harder it gets and the messier it gets. And the final thing that Jesus says in this text is that if you do end up going to prison, you're not going to get out until you've paid every last penny. And what's Jesus saying there is that you and I are also imprisoned by our anger. And until we make it right, until we are reconciled in full, we will remain in that anger prison. And that's not what God desires. And so I ask you, dear friends, this morning, is there any area of your life where you have unresolved anger? If so, would you consider today allowing the God of love and the God of new life to help you reconcile and make peace with your anger? It might not be possible um, and it might not be helpful for you to go directly to that person. Maybe they physically abused you. Uh, Maybe they're dead. But God can still help you to work through your unresolved anger. And to let it go so that it does not consume you. So that it does not destroy you. And so that it does not destroy those around you. May it be so.